also. And that day, at, was it St. Michael's that day, I think, in Van, in Van Nuys, where y'all, uh, people were, and it was a big thing. Um, uh, Bishop Maximus was there, Metropolitan Philip, of course, and ordained a whole bunch of people at one time. And that, by the way, created another controversy uh, as t time went on, too. Metropolitan Philip was very pragmatic. He still is pragmatic works for the pastoral good, and he didn't want to do 40 different divine liturgies to ordain 40 people, so he ordained 40 people in one divine liturgy. And now, that's unusual because the tradition of the church is really to do one deacon and one priest per liturgy. But that would have taken forever. <laughs> he, as a matter of economy, not as a matter of precedent setting, went ahead and did the ordinations. The first set of people were ordained chrismated and then ordained deacon on February the 8th, 1987. And then on February the 15th, note the date, eight years to the day from the day we consecrated the bishops at Montecito. It's the Lord. <laughs> the uh, first set of deacons were then ordained priest in the church and the entrance had begun. Now it took a number of, of weeks. It was April before Metropolitan Philip came here to uh, St. John's. My own parish was March the 21st in uh, Gary, Indiana. We had 77 people chrismated that day and eight priests uh, ordained. It was a marvelous, marvelous time. Bishop Antoon came to our, our parish and, and then I went also with him to uh, Saskatoon the next weekend and uh, we chrismated and ordained the leadership there in, in Saskatoon. By Pascha, over 2,000 people had been chrismated. 70 or so clergy had been ordained. And we had entered into the canonical Orthodox Church. It was glorious. That was really not the end of the story, of course. We're 20 years down, down the way. You'll be happy to know that a number of the folks that did not come in with us at that time did eventually come in with us. James Ellison, about five years later, uh, came into our archdiocese, is now a priest at St. Nicholas Church in Champaign, Illinois. The Indianapolis Church itself, after Bishop Jensen resigned about, what, five, six years ago, uh, Father Joseph Gibson, led the parish into the OCA. It's now an OCA parish. The church at Kokomo, Indiana, joined the OCA also. The church at East Lansing, Michigan, about a year after we came in, Father Richard Peters entered into our archdiocese. A significant number of other individuals have joined as well. There still are a few, uh, Bishop Blythe in Lincoln, Illinois, a church in Sioux City, Iowa, a church in... Uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, and a small group in, uh, and a group in Indianapolis, I can't say small or big, I don't really know. Uh, pardon? Anglegi is still continuing up in, in uh, Saskatoon uh, to function as a synod of the Evangelical Orthodox Church, still using that name. How long they'll continue to do that, I don't know. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really know uh, what'll happen there. Bishop Jensen himself actually is a layman now in the Catholic Church. He's a teacher 
a teacher at a Catholic high school in Indianapolis. Uh, the that's a little bit of some of the thing that, things that happened after that. As you know, of course, our impact by the grace of God on the Orthodox Church in this country, I think, is is leaven. You know, it, it be if you just look at statistical evidence in our archdiocese alone, when we came in, there were 130, 135 parishes. There are now nearly 300 parishes and missions in the Antiochian Archdiocese 20 years later. That's not all our doing, but, but what, I, what I'm suggesting is that the fact that we came in created a, a, a situation that others felt comfortable, more comfortable to consider and to convert to orthodoxy from various different kinds of, of uh, backgrounds. Three-fourths of the clergy of the Antiochian Archdiocese are convert clergy. Three-fourths. And that is, a, that is a remarkable fact. Metropolitan Philip's vision is indeed to bring America to orthodoxy. And he, it's the Lord. I mean, it is, it is God's grace that we came to him. And God's grace that he was visionary enough and, uh, and bold enough to take the step that he, he did with us, to take the chance, as it were, and, and to see the kingdom of God as what it is. And I, for one, will be eternally, eternally grateful. At the Montreal Conference Convention just last week, he spoke about the 20th anniversary. And he looked back at about... Eight years ago, shortly after the Ben Lowen schism and many troubles from that church there, and he said in Montreal, he said again, somebody asked him, if you had it to do over again, say, Edna, would you do it? And there in Montreal, he said, just like he did eight years ago, I'd do the same thing over again a thousand times. <laughs> so strongly, it was really nice. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Yes, you may. Do you still think that a bishop should be married? I think that, that uh, I have two opinions about this, two, or two aspects on it. I think theologically, married men can indeed serve as bishops, and I think that it might be good for the church as a whole to have bishops that are closer to the people and, and more of them, rather than just have you know, just a few bishops elsewhere. I have done some thinking, however, since I was a bishop and am not a bishop, it is really hard on a married man to do the kind of work that our bishops do. And I think unless we redefine what the ministry of the bishop is and significantly reduce the range of responsibility that a married man would not be able to uh, successfully have a family and do that responsibility. So I'm a mixed feeling on it. I mean, theoretically, theologically, I think it would be great. And I think it would all, there are a lot of people who would be excellent bishops who can't be because of that, uh, that, that commitment. Having been a bishop and now not being one, I have no desire whatsoever to be a, 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 a bishop again. You know, uh, one of the questions asked, how did we, uh, why did so many want to keep their, you know, their title and so forth? There wasn't so much the title for most of us as it, as it was the function the pastoral leadership in any particular place. 
one of the things that we had to be sure of, that I had to be sure of, was that we would be allowed to be the spiritual leader of the parish as priest, uh, and that the, the bishop, Metropolitan Philip, would be open to ordaining people so that we could continue to, to grow. And, uh, and the fact is, that's been, that's been the case. Uh, so we were able to maintain the function. I can't ordain people, but if the bishop sees that a particular person is qualified, capable, and the need's there, they've been quite willing to do that. Father Peter Gilquist said that giving up the title of bishop actually wasn't so hard. It's kind of like trading a mail-order PhD for an accredited master's degree. <laughs> <laughs>